0: Welcome to the Good Money Habits podcast, where we marry financial education with tips from the experts on how to develop good money habits. Knowing what your options are around your finances is one thing, how to translate the knowledge into action for results is quite another. We're all about helping others take steps to gain financial stability, to live a better life. This podcast is brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. It is important to understand that today's episode is of general nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situations or needs and may not be appropriate for you.
1: I'm joined today on the line by Mark Bynum, who is the immediate past president of the AFA being the Association of Financial Advisors, and has won numerous awards and recognition for his work. He is also the author of the newly released book, The Money Sandwich, which focuses on how to manage your money better in your 50s and 60s. Mark, welcome to the Good Money Habits podcast.
2: Uh-huh. Yes, thank you, Junior, and yeah, I'm glad to be here.
1: And Mark, I have to say, I I just finished your book in time yesterday. Um, Congratulations. It is fantastic. I was so excited to receive it in the mail. Um, I think it was about 10 days ago now, so I thought I'd better get into this knowing I was um, going to be interviewing today, but I, I really love what you've created. I think there's a huge need for what you've done there, so well done.
2: No, no, thank you for that. It's uh it was a bit of a passion and uh it was a like a three year project, but uh uh yes, glad I've got it out now.
1: And you can see that when you read it, there has been a lot of thought and time and energy go into it. So, as I said, just brilliant. Um, And I think Matt, you know, we've been really fortunate to have seen an increasing number of our peers start to produce, you know, reliable and trustworthy financial education tools. The likes of Kate McCallum and Julian Newbold, who published the highly successful book *The Joy of Money*, Um, Tim, Tim Henry with his *The Grass Is Greener* podcast, through to Glenn James with *My Millennial Money* and Victoria. Divine with She's on the Money, to name a few of my personal favourites. So, when I first read that you'd written the book, I was in equal parts relieved, but also excited um, that we're going to have yet another quality, affordable resource to address the shortfall in financial education in Australia. And the thing I loved about your book, perhaps most importantly, is it's really easy to understand, it hits all the key elements. And I really think it's going to help a lot of people take practical steps to gain financial security. So just fantastic. Um, I think, uh, Oh, please. Go ahead, Matt. I was just saying, I think, you know,
2: anything we can do, and you named a few uh, podcasters and other uh, authors and all that who have come from our background. And I just think anything we can do to help spread the word, provide education in an affordable way is a good thing.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And um, you know, you've been uh, a financial advisor yourself for over thirty years. So, something I was curious about was what led you to pivot towards becoming an author and podcast host.
2: Yeah, (laughs) it's a it's a pretty big shift, Julia. And it it was uh, it took uh, it was probably about three years in the making. But in the end, it was all over one month. It all just sort of made the big decision and just did it. Uh, So, what really and you you. Yep. And you did uh, kindly mention that I was uh, the president of the Association of Finance Advisors. And one of the things we did do a few years back was run a consumer expo here in Sydney. And it really did struck me that a lot of the people that were coming up there, people in their 50s and 60s, and really just said, you know, where have you been all our life? You know, we just normally just don't know where to turn to and you need to do more of this. And uh, while, you know, the association, had its own uh, direction. One of the things is I thought, well, no, I could do this myself and, and at least put something down, you know, what I do for my uh, normal, uh, everyday uh, meetings with my clients and just transfer them into a book so that even if someone doesn't want to actually see an advisor, even though it's something I do recommend, uh, if they had at least a step-by-step process of all the basics and, and core things you needed to know about your finances to, uh, to do this. And it was... But once I actually had written the book, a few people I'd spoken to uh, sort of just basically said, well, what's next? And I sort of said, well, I'll go back to being advised. And they said, no, 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 you've got this book out. You need to do more. There is a real need for this out there. And, you know, you can, be, you can help be part of the solution, even if it's a small part. And so I just sort of thought, well, I've been doing this for 33 years. If I actually move into this, there's even an option for me to do some coaching, as podcasting, and as long as I'm not really recommending product, I can do this at a much more lower cost base and help supposedly the many rather than the few, which when you're, when you're an advisor and you have so much compliance and regulations controlling you, it does limit the amount of people you can actually get to see. So there was it. That was the decision.
1: And that's a beautiful segue, I guess, into my next question for you. And that is that we have seen major changes over the last decade in our profession, unprecedented really. What impact do you feel that's having on the everyday Australian actually accessing advice today?
2: It's definitely making it more difficult. Uh, One of the roles I had was actually liaising with government and and our minister um, uh, for finance and superannuation. And there was no it was definitely from both sides of politics. They wanted to keep uh, advice affordable. And so it was a really good headline, the affordability of advice. And even ASIC is doing a survey on the affordability of advice. But it's, it's, what I see it's sort of like a great headline. On the flip side, then they keep all these providing these regulations and doubling up with requirements that just make the cost unaffordable uh, for the average person. And that, that's my uh, struggle uh, in all this, that, yes, we can do better. And I even look back, say, 2000, it took probably on average two hours to do uh, a piece of advice for a client. Mm-hmm. Um, now it takes about 20 hours. So just that alone, <laughs> that, that's an expensive increase. And I know there is getting improvements, technology is getting better, there will be more efficiencies there, but, you know, that might take 10 years to come in, and I just think, uh, in the meantime, we just need to think about this differently because, yes, if you have a million dollars uh, and or you're about to retire and you have a large lump sum in your superannuation, uh, absolutely it's important that you get really good advice, um, but it is just getting more and more difficult uh, for the people who are, especially in their 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. who on average only have, or the Afro, uh statistics said the people who are couples who are sixty seven, they on average have about four hundred thousand in their superannuation and that's as a couple. So that's hard to afford the advice costs when that's your and that's the average. So, you know, half or below that.
1: And I guess it's one of those cases of well-intentioned legislation perhaps perhaps, but and regulation with unintended consequences. And that is why things like the Money Sandwich um, book that you have written is just so important at the moment as a resource and a tool for people to reach into. Mm. And and as you said, it's a way that you can now go um, one to many, which is great Um, and and difficult to navigate that as well, I might add, because um, it's such a fine line between general advice and personal advice as well, um, but you've, you've managed to navigate that beautifully, so well done on that too. Um, I wanted Thanks. to um, talk about jargon. Um, it feels <laughs> like, you know, it's just such a barrier, you know, it's almost like the way we would speak to others each other as financial planners is a foreign language at times. How important is it to strip jargon out of the conversations? Yeah, I think
2: that's, that's absolutely Critical. Uh, you actually mentioned the joy of money by Julia and Kate during McCall- Newborn McCallum, mm. and uh, I. That's one of the things I really admired about their their book, and I made sure it was the same in my book. That jargon is one of those things that just people who come and see a financial advisor, and when they leave, apart from actually, uh, you know, what did you think of that meeting, but the second thing they say is how hard was it to, to look smart for an hour. Because, yeah. you know, client advisors do, and, and not, we're not alone in this, doctors, lawyers, all fall into this. And I know when I was mentoring young advisors, and they would directly even practice client meetings, uh, and they would talk about you know, TPDs and TTRs and yeah. all these other yeah. acronyms. And yeah. I would just say, the, the simple rule is, would your mother understand what you just said? And if she can't, why would you expect your client sitting in front of you or prospective client sitting in front of you to understand this? Uh, and I was told by an American advisor a long time ago, uh, simple but eloquent is the way you should conduct it. And I just really, that's always stuck with me. And even to the point of the book, I actually had an editor and um, that was introduced to, and one of the benefits wasn't that way, but it just worked out that way, that he had no idea and actually interest in anything money or superannuation. So I said perfect because when you read the book and if we're talking about superannuation and and I'd say this is what it is and here's my chapter and and he'd just go say well I have no idea what that means. What does that mean? And I'd have to explain because I still don't get it and then we eventually get to a point where okay I understand it and here's a way that and if he could understand it I I was fairly confident that, that people reading the book would have that but it's just something we do have to be very very careful about uh, especially if you are saying that a lot of my clients who I saw who are in their 50s and 60s and these were women widowed or divorced yeah, and they especially get really turned off when it's judged. Um, it's been and really
1: intimidating already, mm-hmm. let alone that overlay. So
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So it is something we do need to fix in our industry because it, it's so easy to slip into it because you do. You, you're saying advisors talking to other advisors. We just talk that language every day. But of course our clients, don't. Mm.
1: Yeah. So that's that's a great perspective on that. Um, coming back to the sandwich generation, who are the san- sandwich generation, and what led you to hone in on this? You touched on it earlier. Can you take me a little bit deeper on that?
2: Um, certainly. as other said, this was like a three-year process, and while I always had in my head, you know, all the different topics—cash, debt, super, and, and so on—that I wanted to write about, I. I kept getting advice because you know, writing a book, you don't know what you don't know. And a few people gave me some really good advice early on. They said, write to what you know. I said, well, I do know I'm writing about money. I, I know they said, no, 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 you need to go down further. And what I realized was that what I really did know was myself, uh, what my friends were, what my family were going through. Mm. And where, when I did more research on it was actually, especially in America, this is more well known. It's called the sandwich generation, in that you're the generation sandwiched between your adult millennial type children uh, and your elderly parents on the other side, as well as you know you're trying to approach retirement yourself. So it's one of those things we often said my friends and I would have dinners with my that, and you know, we wish when we got to our 50s we would have loved to have had a manual, because a lot of this stuff. You know, seeing our elderly parents go from being our parents to someone we're now having to nearly look after or help, and our adult children who, when we were their age, were probably the time we left school or university, we were out, we were out of the home. Whereas millennial children now are living basically at home right through to marriage. Mm. And so it's just very different what we're experiencing now um, to what any previous generation is. So I think the sandwich generation will, in all we do, they um, said baby boomers changed the spending habits of Australia and how people and services changed their habits. Um, and I get online will always be for anyone under 35 or 40. That will be there, but anyone who is in their 50s and 60s, they they think differently. They um, they they don't expect to ever be on social security, so they know they've got to fund their own retirement. Mm. But for a lot of them, they'll want to. Keep on working. They just want to be financially in a position where they're comfortable enough or have financial freedom and just enjoy working and keep going. So it's going to, I think, uh, lead to some quite interesting, yeah, the way we think and the way we actually, yeah, work from now on.
1: I agree. And I like the fact that you uh, think of what you've written as something like a manual. When I was reading it, I was thinking it felt like a bit of a timeless vault that people could dip in and out of. And um, it was funny because I, as, as I was reading it, I was thinking uh, this is exactly the way I think about it as well. And I just love the way that um, you just made it very doable because that's the key in all of this, and I, I want to dig into a couple of areas that I thought um, really struck me when I was reading it. If you don't mind sharing a little bit, of, a bit about them, um, of in your book you talk about the one day myth. Can you explain a bit more about that?
2: Yes, and uh, I'm sure you've had this plenty of times too, Julia. But uh, I, we see clients, and and it doesn't matter what's they're in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and they always say, oh you know, one day, you know, <laughs> one day I'll get around to doing this or uh, one day I'll go see an finance advisor and it's just, and when they say they see you, they say, oh, yeah, I thought about this 10 years ago, but, you know, the years just went past uh, and I never got around to it. Um, so this one-day myth is, yeah, it, it's something where if you're actually looking to um, get something started, it's just one of the hardest barriers to break through, you know, taking that first step, taking that first leap of faith, um, and you know, just don't leave it to one day. You'll get around to it. You've really got to do that. But you know, ninety percent of all the people I ever I've ever seen have always said, you know, I always meant to, you know, one day I'd get around to seeing you. Um I didn't think it'd be five years, ten years down the track, but yeah, I'm here now. So I just wanted to really emphasize in the book that, yep, don't if it's you yep, applies, if that resonates to you, that one day I'll get around to this, no, make that step, uh, take action and start now.
1: I was about to say I think the message in all of that is just start isn't it just take the yeah. step and um, something I always remind people of is that this is a skill um, and you know like you don't have um, Wimbledon champions just step on the court and, and win the game without training and coaching and and taking the time so it's understanding that um, they might not get it all right the first time but just keep trying just start and, and just keep um, gradually working through it. How important is it for people to know their numbers, Mark?
2: Yes, I think knowing their numbers or just the knowledge uh, of what's happening in their finances and situation Mm -hmm. is just so important. It's one of those core bases. If you had a small business, if you didn't understand your numbers or your cash flow, you'd be out of business pretty soon and yet people don't know their own cash flow. Mm -hmm. So if you want to make changes, and whether you want to start saving, whether you want to buy an investment property, whether you want to just put more money in super, whether you just want to pay off your credit card—if you don't actually understand your numbers uh, or where your money is going every month—and I speak to people who are on salaries of fifty thousand. I've spoken to people on salaries of a million dollars, and so many times they say, at the end of the month, it's just all gone, yeah. and we don't know yeah. where we go. You know, um, yes, someone who's probably on a five hundred thousand or million dollar salary have a much better lifestyle, but. Still, all gone, and they just don't know their numbers. And I just think, if you want to make any changes or any positive changes to your um, to your um, to getting your finances and money in order, you've got to know the numbers.
1: And I want to drill into that a little bit more, the cash flow management side. In this um, podcast series, Mark, right back at the beginning in COVID, we recorded the foundation series. And within that, we share um, a simple system, one that I've used with my own family that we find works really well. And when I was reading your book, the system was virtually identical and there was a couple okay. of bits in that that I thought really stood out and I thought it's interesting that we landed in the same place and I wondered if you could share a little bit about the system and how it works. So um, having the um, everyday living account and then the savings account, do you mind sharing a bit about that?
2: Yeah, certainly. And I've seen variations in different buckets or uh, people say, uh, but what I do is I try and if I see someone's cash flow, and what we would do is sit down with someone, uh, take out the last month or last two months credit cards or bank statements, and you just need to work out where your money's going. Uh, as I said before, you just need to know the numbers. But once you actually isolate it, you know, this is how many coffees I've had or this is what I've spent on shoes, this is what i spent on food, this is what i spend spent on rent or the mortgage, cars and such, um, you need to just to separate it um, into... Um, the the uh, essential items and discretionary items. Yeah. Um, and so what you what I mean by that is um, essential items. Yes, you, you're always going to have to um, uh, pay your rent and pay petrol for your car and so on. But there are discretionary items that you know how much you spend on food. Yes, of course there's some basic groceries, but you know how many times do you use Uber Eats? How many times do you have coffee, How many times do you and there's are the discretionary costs that really, if people need to make changes or they say, I really want to be able to try and save more, that's that's where you focus on. Because, you know, the essential ones you can't change. Very hard to do that. You know, maybe if you're paying electricity, you can try and get a better electricity deal. But in the whole, you still got to pay your electricity bill. So those sort of things, it's very limited, but the discretionary costs. And if you quite quickly, even if you just do the last month, you'll see very, very quickly where your money ends what happens is it really does surprise people. Wow, I didn't actually realise that last month I spent that much on movies or Uber Eats or something like that. Yeah. So if I'm spending three days a week on Uber Eats, well, maybe I cut that back down to two days and I eat in uh, and all these sort of things, but at least you know where your money is going. And once you have understand where your money is going, you can actually make decisions. And the, the second part to what we look and do is we actually say for people to set up two separate bank accounts. Mm-hmm. One, for where uh, one for where your salary goes into, and whether that's once a month, once a fortnight or, or whatever, um, because one of the things people do say is um, especially if they get paid monthly, you know, the first week they live really well, second week maybe they're okay, paid, but third week is a bit of a struggle. In fourth week they're actually maybe living on debt. Exactly. So we need, mm-hmm. to, we need to fix that. And the easiest way was going back you know, 30, 40 years when everyone was paid weekly. So the second bank account we set up is, uh, which is the one you've got your tap and go card against, is you pay yourself a weekly salary that at the end of that week, if you've blown it all, well, that's fine because that was your the discretionary cost. All your major costs and all that were settled in your um, major account, uh, which is where your salary goes into, and hopefully you've got some control and understand where that is. And it takes a bit of working sometimes you've got to go tweak it about how much you're paying yourself each week. Or that, but at least that's a nice, easy system rather than all your salary coming into the one tap and go, which is where, of course, you just tap and going all day long and you don't realise where that money is actually going.
1: And it's just too long a time frame a month, to really get a gauge on whether you can afford something or not. What I really like about the weekly thinking is it gives you uh, – it's just easy to think in weekly terms. If you're getting towards the end of that week and you're getting low and you're wanting to order in takeaway or go out for dinner, well, you get to make a choice. You can make an omelette or you can go out and get the takeaway or, or have the dinner out. But knowing that you're really dipping into the next week's um, – allocation that you've got there. And I like the fact that it's almost like a, a really um, easy, um, reliable signal to say, hang on a minute, I'm now possibly spending more than I'm earning, which is the key to this. And it's just pulling it back um, in such a simple way. So I I love that system. I think it makes a whole lot of sense. And the other reason I like it is it can help people manage bill shock. So in the savings account, if you know what those fixed expenses are that you referred to earlier, Mark, when the bill comes in, it's not that sinking feeling in the gut of how am I going to find the money? It's okay. I knew that was coming. I've got it allocated. Um, So I think it's just just a, a nice... Um, nice simple system that works so mm. I think and, that's great and
2: it, and it needs and it needs to evolve it needs to be tweaked because you know a lot of those expe- uh, major expenses are one-off expenses in a year and so until you've done a whole year you don't actually know it all but you know, it's just a matter of tweaking as you go along True. but it, it is seems to be you know you know your numbers, you feel like you've got control of your money now and that then allows you to then be able to make decisions uh, because sometimes people do spend more than they earn uh, and do need to make some changes.
1: So on that note, what advice do you have for people who discover through that process that they are spending more than they're earning?
2: Yeah, probably two two things on this is that I really see is that you do have to make, first thing you just have to make some hard decisions. You can't go on uh, spending more than you earn and, at least if you know where your money is being spent on, uh, and that was usually the first critical thing. People don't realise why they don't have enough money by the end of the month because they just don't know where it's all going. So at least you now can make some hard decisions about what are you going to cut out because it is the number one core basic rule of any financial plan is that you to actually start saving, you need to spend less than you earn. So it's something that you do have to do that, and maybe it's, it's really difficult at first, and it's you're a long way past on what you're spending to what you're earning, um, but you do need to make some really hard decisions in that case. The second thing is you aren't alone. There are there are really yeah. good money coaches out there or financial advisors, especially ones who specialize in millennials or specialize in, uh, in money coaching or for old ages, and they can help you get this um, because it's one of those things, Julie, you see... If if the top tennis player in the world still feels he needs a coach to help him keep on track and keep accountable, mm-hmm. uh, it's why don't why don't we all think even just the money? So if you, sometimes we you just have to think that I'm really struggling here. There are places to turn to, and the good thing is, at least if someone's helping you do this, they'll probably be able to work out you know, how their fee can be paid for because they're helping you make the savings and helping you get all this under control. Um, so, actually, I thought we of add a third one is this is not budgeting. I, I, we do need to budget, but budget, like dieting, has some really negative connotations. connotations. <laughs> and I get that. So, one of the things I, when I look through all this, and I'm sure it's similar to yourself when you're looking at your cash flow and getting control and being able to make decisions, it's not a budget telling you these are what we're forcing you to do to get your money under control. No, you are getting your money under control, and you're making your own decisions about where it is. And if you don't need to do it next month, you can make those decisions. At least you understand you have the knowledge. Whereas budget, more people think about this thing is going to tell me when I look at all this, I'm not going to be able to have coffee every morning. It's going and it's going, so it has that negative connotation. So I don't like to of this as budget. This is more cash flow management. Yes, um, because a lot of people refuse to do it because they don't like they don't want a budget. So. Yeah. yeah, People shouldn't think of this as budgeting.
1: Yeah, well said. And really what it is is about um, getting control and choice back, as you said, and making conscious choices. And, and uh, I guess sitting down and thinking about am I spending money in areas that I really value as well? Um, so that there's some great tips. And so the two bank accounts help keep you on track with your day-to-day spending and bill paying. What are the steps then to ensure that you can achieve your medium and longer-term goals, such as saving a deposit for a home or maybe upgrading a car, paying for a holiday, early retirement and so on?
2: Uh, it, it is an interesting one because it, it also helps you. Know, uh, depending on your age. You know, if someone was in their 50s or 60s, you'd be sort of saying, well, once you get your spending under control, once you're actually starting to save more, you know, you'd be wanting to top up your superannuation uh, and get that uh, working harder for you. But someone who's in their 20s or 30s who have 30-odd years before they can access superannuation, it wouldn't be the same advice. But saving is still really important. And one of the things is, uh, and there's no real critical number, but, you know, if COVID showed us anything and what you were saying about before about your previous podcast and work on cash, on saving, everyone needs an nest That's the first thing. So whether it's two or three months worth of expenses, you need to have that as your first major saving goal. And once you've got that, and say that's $3,000 or $5,000, once you have that, anything that you're saying to save now after that, hopefully in a high-interest type account, there is a point where you have to say, well, okay, I've built another five, built another 10, built another 30,000, 50,000. What do I do with that? And that's where, again, getting really good advice will help. But the things you'd be looking at would be shares or property, uh, things that will actually provide good income producing assets for you. Because at the end of the day, financial freedom, whether it's retirement or or whenever, uh, financial freedom is about having really good assets. That are providing you an ongoing income that you're replacing your own income, so you don't have to work anymore. So that's really what I'd be aiming at, um, is to, and, and also once you actually do buy a home or buy an investment property, some of those savings you would not only be doing the savings, but you'd also be paying off your home as well, and probably, yeah, if you have your home, you know, maybe if you if you, I'm just saying some very rough numbers. You know, you've got your nest egg, you've got your three, five thousand um, dollars. After that, you've got another five hundred dollars a month you can still afford to save. Maybe two hundred fifty dollars is going um, into a savings program, two hundred dollars is going off your mortgage, another fifty dollars is going on going into superannuation, something that you wouldn't miss and you can do pre tax. So, those sort of things is what you're looking at. Um, but once you actually are ready to buy your home, buy your investment property, even get borrowed to buying a share portfolio, that's when you really do a, a need advice. You know, something of such magnitude or something, if you're going to buy something for $500,000, a 1000000 million, mm-hmm. you, you don't want to do this on your own. You want to get really good advice.
1: Absolutely, and you touched on retirement, Mark. When should people start to get serious about their finances and planning for retirement?
2: Yeah, one of the things I, I heard a lot from clients was that I saw them in their forties and fifties and I said, Oh, if I only had started putting money more into super when I was younger. But life happens, you know, we, we, we're trying to pay off a mortgage. We're trying to get our kids through school, all these sort of things for a lot of people. So, uh, once you've got those debt or, or schools coming towards an end and you are in your end of your forties or fifties, you're going to actually free up a lot of extra cash. And that's when I'm, you know, those last 10 to 20 years before you pick a date. And whether it's 65 and whether you do retire 65 or not, that's not really relevant. Uh, it's, but you still pick a date that you want to aim for. Uh, and so if it's not, you then start having a plan to really boost your superannuation savings. Uh, and that's whether that's through what we call salary sacrifice, which is just investing Part of your salary, pre-tax, to your employer, and you're allowed up to twenty-seven thousand five hundred on that, or any other spare cash you have by making uh, contributions into your super, it, because the, the government has basically said retirement, the number one retirement vehicle is superannuation. Of course, it's zero tax when you live off it in retirement once you pass the age of 60. So. That's what we try and do for people who are wanting to retire or wanting to be financially comfortable, whether they stop work or not, uh, is to start boosting their superannuation as the number one savings aim um, once you're in the late 40s or 50s and 60s.
1: And clients are often surprised at just how much they can achieve in that time frame when you show them the modelling and you pull it all together. So with a concerted effort, um, you really can kick some really big goals um, in those years as you've as you've just highlighted. Something that I've yeah, observed... I, sorry, Mark, go on.
2: I was just saying, and one of the things that was really important for what you just said then, uh, kicking those goals, one of those is definitely uh getting there, uh, maybe how much they can achieve is really about where your money is invested. Um, and a lot of people, when they do look at their superannuation, and here's one of those things we just get our, our clients to bring in their superannuation space, and you just go through it because most people have never really looked at their superannuation and what it holds. That's true. So if they're in, say, a life stage or balanced fund, they will often see on their statement, well, this is what you get if you have your money invested in a growth fund or the high growth fund. If you can get another 2 or 3% historically on average uh, every year to your fund, it's amazing how much your money can grow and how quickly it can go. And I was told really early on that the, best, the biggest risk is not actually uh, the risk of where your money is invested in superannuation, but that your money is going to run out because we're all living longer. So Correct. we do need to get our money mm. working as hard as possible for mm-hmm. as long as possible.
1: Yeah, that's the, the last um, thing that people want to happen in their later years um, when they're really looking for the security that the, t- the tank's empty. So, um, And that's where it's good to get some advice and, and, and get, I guess, that reality check and, um, and align those things to make sure they line up. Something I've observed when working with clients myself in their 50s and 60s is that a common concern is that they can tend to worry about their children and money, and these can be adult children, I should say, as well. Um, You know, they want their kids to have a good start to life, Um, but others might be concerned about either the money ruining them in terms of intergenerational wealth transfer, for example. So there's going to be a lot of money transitioning, you know, record amounts in the years to come, and they want their kids to really understand the value of money and have good skills with money. Is this something you've come across and what tips do you have in that space?
2: Uh, yes, it is something that, uh, especially from the mother, um, and that it's, it's not being sexist, it's just for most of the clients I've seen, uh, uh, for a lot of people near retirement, it was the husband is, is about sort of making sure they have enough. But, that's for a lot of the mothers. Uh, their number one financial goal is making sure their adult children are, are, are financially start off on the right foot. And so we definitely did uh, look at something and we probably put it down to, um, oh, and I should just say, and the main thing that does worry them is that unlike well, when I was their age, when you didn't even have ATMs, so if you didn't get to the bank before, the bank closed on Friday, you had a very lean weekend. Yes, and that's So, you
1: know,
2: now, you know, money is so easy and then you have credit cards and you now have Afterpay and, so, and gambling. You're almost detached TV. from it, aren't you? Mm. Oh, it's, 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 not, um, it's not great that the amount of temptation that is there when it comes to easy money. So I get that it is a real concern. So um, it's real tips around uh, credit cards and one of the things that we do say is that you should – it's not how much the bank says you should be able to lend. And this is something I know um, the Julia Newbolt from the Joy of Money really concentrates on. You know, banks are there not to be a good guy, they're there to make money. And so, you know, that might give you a $10,000 credit card limit, but that doesn't mean you should use $10,000. That's mm-hmm. not giving you permission. When I try and do it, that, you know, what can you pay back in 10 months? So if you're going to get credit, absolutely. If you don't need a credit card, don't have a credit card, or if you can pay it all off in a month, that's fine. But for, uh, probably about seventy, eighty percent of people they can't do that, so they're going to put debt on. And if we've got a two or three thousand dollars debt, you need to be able to pay that off in ten months. So when you're looking at that, what we we're talking about before about cash flow and getting control, and you know how much you can save, um, and a lot of people say no more than ten percent should be going towards a, a consumable expense. So if it's like a credit card. So if you're saying okay, I've got I can afford a hundred dollars a month. Well, times ten, you should never borrow more than a thousand dollars.
1: That's a great rule of thumb. Mm.
2: Yeah, it's just an easy way to try and say okay, there's my limit, not what the bank says my limit. So that's the first thing, the second thing is get your own savings right. We're talking about the cash flow, and for a lot of people, yep, I'm never going to get around to doing this uh, whole spreadsheet. And, And the two bank accounts, what's a very, really easy, simple one? And I usually say, um, and it was in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, pay yourself first. Yes. And Mm. so if you get paid monthly and you get paid on the first, on the second, you pay whatever you want to count as your savings for the month, say $300, you put that, take that, and hopefully you can get the bank to automatically debit it and put it into a separate bank account. So at least at the end of the month, if you've got no money left, as most people say, uh, and you're living paycheck to paycheck, you've already paid yourself first and you've got $300 that's gone already into another savings account. And at the end of the year, you're going to have $3,500 sitting there. Um, so, you know, that's definitely a, a great tip for young people. Uh, two other quick ones. is One is the superannuation. It's a long-term, your superannuation will be next like for 30, 40 years. Make sure you're going to get the best possible return. So look at your super fund. See what high growth is. Understand what that means. Uh, get some advice if you need to. But if you look at that that extra two or three percent over 30 years, your money will double uh, from the simple compounding interest effect. Uh, and the last tip we usually give them is go get some trauma cover. Uh, it, it's and, and lock it in at level rates. Um, so whilst you're a, <laughs> while you're young and healthy, while you're young and healthy, trauma cover. As we were talking before about not acronyms and what and it's critical illness. So heart attack, cancer, stroke, all those sort of things that based on medical advances, people don't usually die from, the majority of people don't die from, but it can still have a real impact to your finances because you've got to take time off work and you don't uh, want to have to you know, potentially lose your home and all these sort of things. And if you can lock it in at a level premium now, which means it stays level all the way through or close to, uh, Trauma premiums, because most people do claim in their 40s and 50s, uh, is the most expensive. So it's just something that, yeah, you talk to an insurance advisor and you get that. But they're probably the four things. Yeah, it's just, um,
1: yeah, Fantastic. super savings yep. trauma. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. So, thinking about the other end of the spectrum, I'm conscious of time, so I might um, make this the last question. So, thinking about the parents of the sandwich generation, what are the key things that um, people should be starting to think about or prepare for in relation to things like aged care, loss of partner, that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, and it really is important. And and of course, it was my it's my generation. My own parents, my friends' parents. I see it. I, and we talk about it, you know, uh, a lot. So it, it really is. It can be a real struggle. And uh, seeing our friends and they're dealing with their parents who are uh, getting dementia, uh, are really struggling. And you know, and a lot of people say, you know, the only way you're getting out of my home is in a box. So they don't want to move or don't want to. Care. So it's it's actually called the conversation uh, for a lot of people in actually having from uh, from people our age. Uh, uh, having that conversation with the elderly parents while they still can and it's a real tough one because a lot of parents don't want to talk about it no. because you know oh it's fine I'll look after that uh, you know I'm, you're not getting me out of here but it is something and you just need to say sometimes even bring in a third party to say this and or even just saying yeah dad we, we get you're, you're under control you know you're doing this but just tell us what what are you doing please let us know and and funny enough sometimes having it with your own siblings like your brothers and sisters because Sometimes you may think, oh, okay, when our parents eventually do go into aged care, well, we'll sell the house so they can pay for that. And it might be one sibling. No, I grew up in this house. I'm never going to agree to that. So sometimes you just need to actually have this uh, talk with your own siblings as well as your parents. And bit by bit, you know, have you got your will up to date? Have you got your estate planning? And do you need any help with that? And just uh slowly over time, people will ease up and have that conversation. But it's something to start now is a really good part of that. And when it does come to aged care, the only other one I would talk about is that there are some really great specialists out there who uh, I spoke to, and I was not one of them. I, I found it really difficult to talk about this. If parents bring their, their adult, uh, the elderly parents in there and sitting about talking about aged care, you know, you have a box of tissues there. And you have these conversations, but there's some really great people who know on aged care, because anyone who's had to deal with it for their own for their own parents, it's a nightmare. It's a really tough thing to go through. So, go get help. There is places you can turn to, uh, and just be know that because a lot of times when people do have to go into aged care, it's not something you uh, gradually go. You know, you've had a fall, you've had, and your doctor says. They're never going back to their home. You've got to find an aged care today or in the next month. So getting some advice now is actually quite beneficial.
1: It's just so incredibly emotional isn't it and um, I had a really good chat with Brenda Wills talk about, talking about experts so she's a financial advisor here in WA who specialises in aged care um, and that's worth a listen actually she had some fantastic um, information to share and some guidance on you know the importance of um, getting your head around the system as early as possible as well because it is a little bit of a minefield in and of itself there can be very long waiting lists and things like that but as you said at the heart of it it's actually about having sometimes what are very tough conversations but important conversations and um, I imagine that once they have been had that there's some degree of relief as well ultimately um, once a plan is in place and you feel like you know what your options are and and what's what's best in a particular situation so thank you Mark I really appreciate your your thoughts on that Um, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to write The Money Sandwich. Three years, I'm not surprised it was that length of time. Um, As I said earlier when I read it, it was so obvious that this is really going to help a lot of people increase their financial literacy. There's such practical um, and doable tips and systems and frameworks in there um, to help people to start to get greater control over their money and and who wouldn't want that in their life. Um, we're, We're a few weeks out from Christmas, so if you're looking for... Or a Christmas present idea or a stocking filler, I would highly recommend um, getting Mark's book. Um, I know I'm going to be buying a few and I can think of a few people who I think would um, appreciate that. So thank you again, Mark. I've, it's been wonderful to chat to you today.
2: Yeah, thank you, Julia. And uh, I know the great work you're doing for your own client and this podcast to help educate people. So I think yeah, we're all part of the solution. So thank you as well.
1: No, thank you very much. It's very much a passion for me and it's obvious talking to you how much this is a passion for you as well. So between us all, um, hopefully we can get some some really good tools and, and systems out there for people. And for the listeners, thank you for your ongoing support. Really appreciate it. If you don't mind liking and sharing if you found this episode helpful, that would be wonderful.
0: That was another episode of Good Money Habits brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. A reminder that this episode was general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs, and therefore may not be appropriate for you. It is recommended that you seek professional advice before making any significant financial decisions. If you want to find out more, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts or head to www.lighthousecapital.com.au